Turn your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 28. We continue our study through Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 28 and beginning with verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when, the, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me, by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel and he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hands of the Philistines." Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, 
She said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me send a morsel of bread before you and eat that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman urged him and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house and she quickly killed it and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it and she put it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Now God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me please? Again, our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. And we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would speak to us and that you would open our eyes, that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ high and lifted up, open our ears that we would hear the voice of our good shepherd and know him and follow him and open our hearts that we might offer them to you promptly and sincerely in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. These things we ask in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Be seated, please. Unimaginably hypocritical, pathetic, and hopeless. Let me tell you, it was a real struggle to figure out how to connect this passage of Scripture to our lives here in the U.S. in the year 2020. In this passage, a government official issued a decree that the people had to obey and then he broke his own decree. Now, I know it is impossible for us today to imagine such a thing could ever have happened on this earth. You know, things like the mayor of Austin, Texas, filming a video telling the residents of Austin to stay at home. He did not mention that he was making the video in a timeshare in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, where he had taken a private jet to celebrate his daughter's wedding. Or the governor of California attending a birthday party at a French restaurant outside of Napa, attended by several lobbyists after he had told Californians to stay at home during Thanksgiving. Very next night, the mayor of San Francisco had a birthday party at the same restaurant. I could also mention the mayors of San Jose, Chicago, Washington, D.C., but you already know. Even CNN has reported it. Now, I don't watch CNN because I haven't been laid over in Atlanta airport for several years. You let that sink in. But I read that CNN anchor Brianna Keeler said, quote, the past few weeks brought into relief a pattern of leaders failing to lead by example, asking Americans to make sacrifices that they themselves are unwilling to make and appearing sorry only when they're caught. You know, the Bible says something about there's nothing new under the sun, and that's because there isn't. 
In the passage before us, King Saul ran the necromancers and mediums out of Israel. Those who practiced witchcraft, divination, seances, conjuring up the dead. That pagan, hokey pokey. Verse 9 indicates that not only did King Saul drive them out, but was imposing a death sentence for anyone caught practicing such arts. That's all fair enough. Saul was keeping the law of God in so doing. You can see for yourself Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 6, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 11 and 12. The problem is that after Saul implemented the law of Moses, he then turned right around and violated his own policy and God's too. Saul went to visit a witch in order to call up Samuel from the dead. It was unbelievably hypocritical but it was also unbelievably pathetic and hopeless. So now let's look at this situation in the king that was so unbelievably hypocritical, pathetic, and hopeless. First in this passage, we see unbelievable hypocrisy. Look at verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. Now we don't know when or what had prompted Saul to run the the witches, and I'm just going to refer to necromancers, mediums, all that as witches, except that it was the law of Moses. But now Saul sees his enemy, the Philistines, coming against him, and he's frightened. It, it says he inquired of the Lord. He prayed, but the Lord did not answer him. So in his desperation... Saul tells his men to find him a witch. A woman who is medium. And you see his servants know exactly where to find one. They don't have to send out a search party. They answer immediately. So clearly this hypocrisy we see in Saul runs deep in the administration. Now to his credit, Saul was not quite as brazen 
about his hypocrisy as some of our modern hypocritical dracos. Saul at least disguises himself when he breaks his own order. Look at verse 8. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night, and he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Now the witch sizes up the situation, and she suspects that this is a sting operation. The woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my my death? This, This is a trap. This is a setup. But look at how Saul answers her when she protests. Look at verse 10. But Saul swore to her by the Lord. As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Now this right here, verse 10, is as hypocritical as hypocrisy will ever get. Of course, Saul is disguised. She does not know he is the king. But you see, he swears by the name of God. As the Lord lives, you will not be punished. Again, Dr. Ralph Davis says, the reader must not miss the irony. Saul swears the oath by Yahweh, the Lord, by the Lord's life as he seeks help from a source that the Lord has condemned. He swears by the life of the Lord even as he seeks help from a source that the Lord has condemned. Davis says, for all his degeneration, Saul is orthodox to the last. That's hypocrisy right there. Swearing. Saul is literally swearing on the life of God that he will not obey the law of God. He's breaking his own law. He's breaking God's law. He's taking the Lord's name in vain. He's using the right sounding spiritual words while going against everything God said to do. Once again, I repeat, there is nothing new under the sun. Unbelievable hypocrisy. Secondly, in this passage, we see unbelievable patheticness. And yes, it is a word, a very old word, not used anymore, but patheticness was once a proper English word. And everything else about me is out of date, so I can use an out-of-date word. Unbelievable patheticness. You'll remember it that way. Look at verse 5. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Saul is scared, we read. His heart is pounding. He calls out to the Lord. 
No answer. In no way, shape, nor form does God answer Saul. So in his fear and desperation, Saul turns to pagan witchcraft. He asks the witch to conjure up Samuel from the dead. Look at verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You were Saul. Now, some have concluded that because the witch screamed when she saw Samuel coming up, that she must have been a fraud. She wasn't even expecting it to work. Here she's been uh, defrauding people in her business. And here an actual spirit comes back and she is frightened. But notice in verse 12 that when she screams, she says to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. It seems more likely that what frightened her was not that Samuel actually showed up, but that when Samuel showed up, she then realized that this was the king who had put her up to it. The king, the very king who had outlawed it. And this was a sting operation after all. Samuel may have called Saul's name when he appeared. Or in that moment, she realized that only Saul would have wanted to summon Samuel back. But at least I don't think that what frightened her was the fact that Samuel was actually coming back. Now this raises many questions. Bizarre story. I certainly cannot answer them all, but Samuel certainly did come back from the dead. How? I don't know. The Lord did it. Certainly not the only time in Scripture that the Lord brought someone who was dead back for a cameo appearance. Now this woman had been in touch with the dark side and whatever success she had had in the past as a, quote, necromancer communicating with the dead that came from hell. But here, the Lord intervenes and brings Samuel back. And Samuel gives a word to King Saul. Look at verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answered me no more either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell you what I shall to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? So he comes back, and there's some even in this dark situation, there's a touch of humor there. When Samuel comes back, he basically says, Saul, why are you bothering me? You're aggravating me. Leave me alone, Saul. And Saul tells him. I am in great distress. 
God, he's turned away from me. He won't answer me at all. And you see in verse 16, Samuel says basically, God is now your enemy. I can't help you. Old buddy of mine in Lancaster used to say, I can feel for you, but I can't reach you. You know, Romans 8 says, if God be for us, who can be against us? But as I have pointed out in times past, the opposite of that is just as true. If God is against us, who could be for us? Nobody. And Samuel is telling Saul, you're in an unbelievably pathetic situation. When God is against you, I can't help you. You're done. Full stop. He is the king of Israel. And he has lost all contact with God. All he can do is turn to pagan superstition. Superstition he had once had enough sense to outlaw. It's pathetic. Rejection of God's word inevitably leads to more and more pathetic circumstances. Our culture long ago rejected the word of God on the plain and fundamental issue of marriage and divorce. From there we lost the very nature of marriage. Now we cannot tell the difference between a man and a woman. And today people list what their preferred pronouns are. People who today claim to, quote, believe in science, argue that a person with Y chromosomes can be a woman. Which is the most unscientific claim that's ever been made on the face of this earth. But this is what happens when God's word is taken out of the equation. Things are reduced to the absurd and it's pathetic. Saul lost divine revelation. No communication from God. And it was pathetic. We see unbelievable hypocrisy, unbelievable patheticness. And thirdly and finally in this passage, we see unbelievable hopelessness. Look at verse 17. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Now here Samuel shows the justice of God in what he's doing to Saul. 
Saul did not heed the word of God. You see, he says, you did not carry out his fierce wrath, his fierce wrath against Amalek. You remember back in chapter 15, the Lord told Saul to wipe out the Amalekites, put them under the ban, devote them to total destruction, but he didn't do it. He almost did it. Didn't seem to have any trouble with the women and children, but when it came to the king and the best of the flocks and herds, he saved them. And here Samuel says, you ignored the word of the Lord. Now the Lord has quit speaking to you. We've all had the experience of talking to someone who doesn't listen. You know, people, their idea of a conversation is they talk and you listen and you don't ever get to leave. They just keep talking. You know people that when you're talking, they're not listening to what you say. They're thinking about what they will say when you stop. And you know this, when they give little active listening noises that don't make any sense with what you're saying, or when you stop talking and then they ask you about something that you just said. And you know, when you talk to somebody and they don't listen to you, after a while, you just quit talking to them. You might even avoid them so you don't have to. That's what God's done to King Saul. King Saul doesn't listen to God. So God quit talking to him. Now here comes the end. Look at verse 19. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Saul is done. Samuel says, Saul, tomorrow you will lose the battle and you and your sons will join me. You will die tomorrow. And then Samuel fell full length on the ground. He was filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. There's no strength in him for he hadn't eaten nothing all day and all night. Now, the witch offered the king something to eat, but he refused. But then his servants and the woman prevailed on him, and finally he agreed to eat. Now, look at verse 24. Now, the woman had fattened a calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it, and she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. And she made Saul a fine meal, a meal fit for a king. She killed the fatted calf. Made fresh unleavened bread. 
Why does the text indicate this detail about what she fixed him for supper? What's that got to do with anything? Well, depending on if he felt like eating breakfast the next day, and I expect he didn't, this was likely Saul's last meal. Do you remember what Moses said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth from out of the mouth of the Lord. And here Saul eats a fine meal, but God has cut him off. He's in an unbelievably hopeless situation. Scripture says God gives people over to what they want. That's his judgment. That's his wrath. Saul ignored the word of the Lord and now the Lord has given him over to total silence. Now let's think about the context. If you've been keeping up in Samuel, you know that this comes in the middle of what we were following about King David running away from King Saul and living with the Philistines. So there's Saul, an outgoing king who is cut off from God and an incoming king whose faith in God has started to slip and he's run away and he's the good one, by the way. As we have seen again and again in Samuel, the point of all this is very simple. Do not Put confidence in man. Put no confidence in princes nor kings. It is better and it is only appropriate to trust in the Lord. The Lord himself would finally come and he would be the one good, true king. And when tempted to disregard the word of God, the good king, Jesus would quote the word of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceedeth from out of the mouth of God. Jesus never once uttered a hypocritical word. Never once did he carry out a hypocritical action. But Jesus knew more than Saul ever could what it meant to be cut off from God when bearing the sin of all his people on his shoulders, Jesus cried, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The one true king endured total estrangement totally forsaken, the wrath of God, all of it, so you and I would never have to say, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who will heed the word of God and come to Jesus have his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus is the only true king, not Saul, 
not even David. Jesus is the one he was really, they were really waiting for. He came once, he will come again. Until then, there will be no peace, no king, no ruler, no kingdom, no nation on this earth worthy of our hope. Jesus is the one, the only one worth waiting for, worth hoping for. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.